Today, I speak with Tracy Myers, Saidi, who's written a beautiful book called Yin Yoga Therapy and Mental Health. And I had a lot of curiosity about this. I'm not a yin yoga practitioner, so I'm asking in this interview a lot of kind of basic questions to try to learn more about yin yoga and what is happening. How is it different from deep stretching or from say restorative yoga where we're kind of supporting the body with props and i think she did a really beautiful job in kind of differentiating what does it mean to put load on the fascia or the connective tissue and what are the benefits of that what are the benefits uh, physically but also how can you take this practice into very much a mental health or a psychological realm playing with your window of tolerance, playing with your edges, watching your mind almost like you would in a meditation practice, being a monkey mind or a critiquing mind or a judging mind or a eject, I got to get out of here mind, that there was a lot of overlap with meditation in a seated position and kind of meditative awareness in these different forms where you're putting load on the connective tissue. So I personally learned a lot about yin yoga and I've always been a little bit hesitant because I am a little bit hypermobile and I have a pelvis that's not very stable and and have not felt that it was the practice for me, but I think listening to Tracy and hearing her talk about on a scale of one to 10, that oftentimes she wants someone at a one or a two on that scale, that makes it a little less scary (laughs) that we're not going to have to sit in these poses full of pain, which will destabilize us, but rather we can back off and really have kind of a mental emotional experience, almost like a, a meditation with a very gentle loading of the connective tissue. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Tracy has written a beautiful, beautiful book. She's an amazing writer. It's one of the most well-written books that I've seen out there. She's a lovely, lovely human being. And I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Each season on the podcast, we try to listen to what it is that our listeners want And we adjust and we take away some things and we add other things. So very soon, we're going to be having a short one to two minute segment every week called the best of humanity. With all the difficulties that are happening in the world today, we feel we need to remember all the good things people are doing for each other also. So each week on the podcast, we'll be choosing someone that we saw or heard about that's doing something amazing in the world to help other sentient beings. And we'll just spend a few minutes celebrating how they're being of service through our little series called The Best of Humanity. What we'd like you to do is to dial into this number, which is 909-754- 4092 and leave a two to three minute, that's all, not longer, a two to three minute audio on the voicemail telling us about someone that you think should be featured in our Best of Humanity series. 
And then if you give me permission, I might put your voice on the podcast telling the story for the best of humanity. Or if you tell me on the voicemail that I don't want my voice on the podcast, Amy, why don't you just repeat this and you know you can tell the story. I'll be happy to do that too. You can call in at any time, day or night. This line is not one that rings. We, we check the messages on this line and we really look forward to having you contribute to the podcast in this way, lifting all of us up to show that really good things are happening in the world and that humanity has a chance and that we as yoga therapists are on the front lines with really wonderful things happening in our field individually and collectively. So join me and be part of the best of humanity. Again, that telephone line that you can call is 909-754-4092. And it's the same number on WhatsApp. If you'd like to try to contact us through WhatsApp, you could also leave a message there. Okay. Thanks for contributing. We look forward to this new best of humanity series. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Please nourish yourself, take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast. Today, I welcome Tracy Myers, who is a clinical psychologist in the area of psychiatric rehabilitation. She also is a meditation teacher and I believe a professor at MUIH in the Masters for Yoga Therapy program there. Welcome, Tracy. So nice to have you today. Thanks, Amy. Nice to be here. So Tracy, today we are going to be talking about yin yoga and of course your new amazing book that you've come out with. And I think this is going to be a really, really popular podcast. So many people find benefit, especially mental, emotional, spiritual benefit while doing yin yoga. So can you just start off and and tell us a little bit about yin yoga for those who don't know what it is? Sure. Yeah. So yin yoga is distinct from its counterpart, yang yoga. So we think about yin and yang. Those are two polarities that come from the Taoist tradition. And the idea of yin yoga is that it's a quiet practice, a practice we do largely on the floor. There's only about 20 to 25 yin poses that we typically explore. And we're really working on holding poses for an extended period of time, somewhere between two to even 10 minutes. And as we hold the poses, we are very gently loading the connective tissues that support the joints. We also, while we're holding these poses, take time to really investigate physical sensations, the breath, and even what's happening in the emotional system of our bodies. So we're really working in the different planes of, of physical, emotional, and breath practices all at the same time. And you know the pieces of yin that are really, I think, unique as compared to more typical yang practice are that because we're holding poses for a period of time, we can explore the edges of sensation, the nuances from a little bit further into a pose or backing off a little bit. 
In addition, we can sequence yin poses to have specific effects for mood, for energy, and all with these really basic, simple poses. I love that. And I was reading your book and I was really in my mind before I read what you wrote and your book, by the way, is Yin Yoga Therapy and Mental Health and Integrated Approach. I was really trying to figure out like, how is yin yoga different from restorative yoga? And in your book, you really give a clear definition that I'm going to let you, you say, because you can say it much better than I. Yeah. And it's, it is a common question because some of the poses are similar. So often we'll mix the terms up. So in yin yoga, we're actually working on creating sensation in the body by utilizing our body putting it in a particular shape and staying for a period of time. In restorative poses, we're using the props to do the work, essentially. So the props are allowing our body to stay in the position without actually utilizing our body's own gravity, our body's own load to stay in the pose. So the impact is really different. So restorative, if we have props allowing us to stay in the pose, we can find ease, we can find relaxation, and we're really reducing physical sensation. In yin, some of the poses may be pretty activating in the system. We may feel sensations that are on the intense side. So we're not moving away from feeling sensation, but we're using our, our props, if we are using them at all, to help us deepen into the experience. I love that. What I read in your book is that in yin yoga, there's no ideal posture. You're not trying to like make the form look perfect, but rather you're loading the connective tissue and pressurizing it over time. And then the way that you described restorative yoga is you're actually taking off the load and offering more support. And I, I thought that was one of the most clear definitions of the two that I had heard. And it almost sounds to me like yin yoga has the potential to be very, very intense. Whereas restorative yoga has the potential to be much more relaxing and soothing and kind of calming. Exactly. And that's why I, I sometimes give a, a warning to people, you know, before yin that the sensation level can get intense. And that's why it's going to be really important to continually check in to make sure that the level of sensation is appropriate. Because as anyone who's done yoga for a period of time knows when you're in a pose, it can suddenly have a lot of intensity and we want to be able to meet that safely. So in yin, we actually do a fair amount of preparation before we get into poses to tell students about safety, about listening to what's happening in the body, rather than just taking the shape, coming to the furthest edge and staying there, because that actually could cause significant sensation, which might be too much for the person. Well, I think that brings up one of my questions that I talked to you just before we got on the line here, that you know, your book is called yin yoga therapy. It's not called yin yoga and mental health. It's called yin mm. yoga therapy and mental health. And I was just saying like the differentiating factor in my mind, and this doesn't mean this is the Bible just, or, you know, the, the uh, Bhagavad Gita is just saying, <laughs> this is how I understand it. And I think yeah. how IAYT defines yoga therapy is that there is an assessment. And when I hear you say that it could be very intense and there could be some, some loading of the connective tissues. 
when we talk about assessment for yin yoga therapy, what does that look like? Or is there a yoga therapy assessment and then you decide if yin yoga is the appropriate tool for what you found in the assessment? I just love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, I love that question. And it's really the the latter, which is this idea of doing a safe general assessment to look at things like joint mobility, to look at things like hypermobility, because in the end, we really want to make sure if someone, for example, has hypermobility, that they're not going to their furthest edge because they may not feel sensations until they've been in the pose for a long period of time. Or when they come out of the pose, they realize, oh, I, you know, I stayed in too long and I didn't get that feedback from my body. So we want to do a careful, good assessment of a person's overall mobility and then even see if yin is appropriate. And, and there are occasions where if there's an injury or in this case, a lot of mobility in the joints that we want to be really careful of how we dose yin in. And, and I use that word dose because it's really helpful, you know, when you're working with someone who hasn't done the practice before to stay on the shorter side for how long you might have them in a pose for. You might try 60 to 90 seconds versus five minutes or 10 minutes, right? And see how does this feel in the body right now and tomorrow and maybe next week, right? So we really want to, to see the impact over time, not just in the actual pose itself. And so if someone has a lot of hypermobility and maybe their, say their sacrum is not very stable, are there times where you would say maybe something else is a better tool for that person? Or do yes. You, okay. I'm sorry. I, I would say yes. And we also use propping in yin to support that too. So if someone has a lot of mobility, we may actually prop to inhibit some of that mobility. We might use a bolster under the knees. We might be using different blocks to not allow the full range of motion in that particular asana so that the person stays safe. Yeah. And often the, the directions when we're working with someone who has that much mobility, maybe we're not going for the, the edge in the sensation range. We may be going for the edge in terms of our ability to practice mindfulness and stay mm -hmm. present. So our focus may be different depending on a person's flexibility or mobility as well. Yeah, I love that. So I have to back up now because I intended to start with how did you personally find yin yoga and what, what made you love this so much that you studied with so many teachers, Sarah Powers and a Japanese teacher, Dr. Motoyama, like what happened when you yourself found yin yoga? Yeah. So I had a traditional asana yang practice and enjoyed movement and vigorous yoga. And when someone suggested yin, I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And as I, I write in the book, I really didn't like it actually. I found a lot of, I don't know, uh, aversion. I wouldn't even say aversion to sit to staying still and the level of sensation while it was different than taking a challenging pose like crow or something. It, it the sensation and staying with that was, was really edgy for me, but there's something in my personality when I don't like something, it makes me really want to try it again. So the fact that I had such a strong reaction, there was this small voice inside of me that was saying, huh, let's, let's try this again. There's something here. Cause there really was a friction. There was a rub inside of me. What I discovered was that it was twofold. One was 
staying with uncomfortable sensations was hard for me that I really liked to, to move fast through so I didn't have to feel. And we can extrapolate that to emotions, right? And other challenges. There was something about, oh, I don't want to be with this. And as I started to be with this, including the physical sensations in yin, there was this growing, I don't know, recognition, like this is important because if I can be with something uncomfortable for two, three, four minutes, I can actually do that in other areas. And I found as I started to do yin regularly that actually it did apply to other areas of my life. Like sometimes physically, like I was running, I'm like, oh, actually this is even easier running than sitting in a yin pose sometimes. Like I could sort of regulate and then even emotionally noticing, oh, it's like a wave, like in yin of like, oof, there are sensations here and then it's gonna pass. So this sort of generalizing into everyday life really made it potent for me. And that's, that's really the journey. That's why I like, started to dive in deeper, even though there was an initial resistance. And does it always pass? Do, or is, do sometimes like you, the teacher says, okay, you can come out now. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> or, or is there always kind of that buildup of sensation? There it is. I'm present. I'm breathing. Wow. This is really intense. I'm feeling it. Does it always come come down then? Great question. In my experience, it may most of the time when we come out of a pose, it does. You know, we can find, and I like to often introduce something called a rebound, where we take a very passive shape like Shavasana or child, where we let everything sort of still and quiet. So the the tension that we built in the yin pose dissipates. But we can feel echoes for a while. And in my own experience, if it's an edgy pose, an edgy yin pose for me is like a low lunge, a dragon, we call it in yin, where we just stay for in the sensations. They're just edgy. So when I come out, I'm still muttering <laughs> and I'm still feeling some of that, like, oh, that was hard. Oh, you know, a little bit of that resistance. And it can take a bit of time for it to dissipate. Yeah. And that's what you mean by an echo, like, yeah. Even though you've come out of the pose, you're still kind of feeling the sensations that it created for a couple of minutes afterwards. And, you know, the sensations may be emotional too. It may be the reverberation of some irritability or, or some, I don't know, anxiety or even judgment. So sometimes it's like the emotional residue that we, mm. we may feel afterward. So I'm like open to it now. And, you know, when stuff comes up afterward, I'm like really curious, like, huh, okay. So, you know, something got, something got evoked here. And what is this for like, you know, trying to be really curious. You know, I, I was looking in your book to, to see like, is there research on the fascial tissue? And so many people say that our emotions are kind of, I don't know if you'd say stuck in our fascia, but that, that there is some connection between connective tissue and emotions. What do you think of that? I agree with that. I think, you know, when we look at acupuncture, when we look at some of the traditional Chinese medicine models of anatomy, we're often looking at the fascial planes in the body. And, you know, some of the teachers I've studied with have really researched this extensively. So Sarah Powers, who's one of my mentors, has done so much study and work around understanding the meridians in the body, the energy systems that 
these highways that go through the fascia and the connective tissue. And when she sequences the poses, she will actually sequence them to produce an energetic and emotional effect. So she has a sequence for anxiety, for example. And so I think that's like super interesting to think about if we are stressing particular points in the body along the fascial lines, we're going to feel some emotional responses too. So you're, you're talking about this teacher that I, I think believe was hers also the, the Japanese Dr. Motoyama. Yes. So yes, I did not study with him, but Sarah and Paul Greeley, both teachers of mine have studied with him and he really helped them understand this impact of the meridian system in terms of how we feel emotionally, physically, and energetically. Yeah, I, I love that connection of Chinese medicine, meridian therapy, if you will, or theory. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, some people say that the ancient yogis actually brought a lot of the ideas about five element theory and about meridians or what we call in yoga nadis to China. And, and that that's how Chinese medicine began. I don't know the exact history on that. And there may be people who disagree with that, but that's what I've been told. So I see these two schools of healing having so many of the same elements. And I think it's really cool that, that it comes together in yin yoga. I do. I had the same view. I almost imagine them like maps on top of each other. You know, when we think about nadis and we think about meridians and chakras, like these are all these kind of maps that they may not perfectly match over, but they generally do. And then we're talking about energy in the system that when we move it in particular ways can produce changes. Right. And so I, I do, I, I, I love that, that integration in yin and I'd add one other theory, which is psychological theory, Western psychology. We add that in, which is like staying in a pose and working with the thoughts that are coming up. That also shifts the energy. So we have that model to explore as well when we're doing a pose. Well, both of those are things I want to talk about, because first of all, you are an amazing writer. Like there's not very many books that I'm like really wowed by in terms of the the clarity and the choice of words and the sequencing of the book. And so you spend quite a bit of time talking about kind of fascia, the thickness, the tension, the compression, that whole Tom Myers kind of anatomy trains and all the different benefits of that. And then you go later in the book into PTSD and anxiety and traumatic brain injury and depression. So I want to, I want to tackle both of those because I think our listeners are probably really interested in both. So if we could start on the physical, we'll start with gross and then we'll move to subtle, more mental, emotional. Sure. So some of the things that I saw yin yoga can help with are things like joint support bone strengthening, greater range of motion, pain reduction, increased synovial fluid, more gel-like fluids that are kind of lubricating and protecting our joints, more parasympathetic nervous system activity, a more clear mind. That's amazing. All those benefits are pretty amazing. I want to start with the first one. What does it mean to have better joint support? Yeah. So, you know, as we age, the tissues that surround our joints start to shrink, right? And so that's why we often feel more stiff 
it's harder to find that fluidity and that natural range of motion that we enjoyed in our youth. So the idea when we're, we're actively working in the connective tissue area, we're beginning to produce, like you were saying, more, more fluid. And that, more, that fluid helps moisturize the areas that really surround the joints. And that helps us feel more fluid. When people practice yin, often they feel, even like the next day or so, a little bit more ease when they're walking, a little less constriction in the joints because they've been able to moisturize and, and have more fluid in the areas that typically don't have a lot of, of moisture, particularly over age 40 or so. And so folks like Bernie Clark, who's done a lot of research in this area, Tom Myers, of course, like you were referring to, this idea when we actually are intentionally working the, the connective tissue and we're, we're doing that in a particular way in yin, we're loading it. We're not stretching it. We're not trying to pull it, but we're loading it with our own body weight. For example, if we're in a bound angle pose and we're leaning forward, we're not trying to stretch and we're, we're actually bringing our, our weight down that ongoing load over time can produce an increased lubrication in those areas. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to, to know is like, how does that happen that you put the load on the connective tissue and then the tissue in response creates more fluid? Yes. Releases more fluid. Exactly. And that, and that, and then when the, the connective tissue is more moisturized, right? We don't get that popping, you know, like with that fixation, all those things that, you know, um, sometimes I wake up with when I haven't been practicing for a while, because when we think about our daily life, even if we have a regular yoga practice, we're not doing a lot in the connective tissue. We're working on more rhythmic movement. And most of us, if we think about our cardiovascular health, maybe we're walking or jogging or biking, again, more rhythm, rhythmic muscle engagement rather than really looking at joint health. So there aren't that many types of physical practice that really work in the connective tissue area. Well, you just said something. I, I have so many questions and I'm sorry if I'm like, no, it's great. In, in my excitement, asking you things we didn't talk sure. about, but talk to me about the difference between a long, deep stretch versus a yin yoga pose where you're creating this load or this tension. Because I think a lot of people in our minds would think, well, aren't those the same thing? It's a great question. And there, there was, and there has been some controversy over, are we doing a little bit of stretching in yin? And, and the answer is yes. It's not that there's not any stretching. Let's say, for example, we're taking a forward fold, right? A seated forward fold and we're coming forward. And even though we're not forcing and elongating and really reaching for our legs and pulling forward, we're still gonna feel some, we're still gonna have some stretch, but we don't go to our fullest range of motion in that regard. Instead, we, we may even limit and back off from the edge and just come forward and our body weight now is forward and we're loading down. So there we're, we're, we're getting a little bit of stretch, but more the focus is going to be on the, on the loading of the connective tissue. Because I haven't done a lot of yin yoga, I think you can, you can tell it's hard for me to understand that. Like what, how can you load the connective tissue, but not be stretching the muscles at the same time? It, it seems so like it's, I can't quite get my head around it. Well, we, we are stretching the muscles, but we're not doing it to the same degree. And in fact, there's a lot of back and forth when you practice yin, when your muscles are warmed, you are going to get more stretch. You're going to get some stretch for sure. 
imagine that forward fold after you've done a, a vinyasa practice. You're, you're, you're pretty open. You're going to end up coming forward and doing some stretching. But that's not the primary mechanism and that's not the primary intention. So again, you're going to you're going to have some stretching, but mainly you're loading because you're not reaching forward. You're not trying to increase the range of motion. You're actually staying and maybe even backing off from that range. So you're you're not going further than that. And that helps to keep the focus more in the connective tissue surrounding the joints. OK, that's what that's what I wanted to get to is, is the mind focused on the connective tissue surrounding the joint? Is that part of the focus? That's a great question. I think it's the intention. I mean, think of it again, we'll take our forward full prototype. If you were taking a traditional yang class and you were coming into a, a seated forward fold, you may reach for the feet, come a little further. Oh, I've got a little bit more range and keep moving forward, feeling mm -hmm. a lot of stretch in the, in the back of the hamstrings, right? In a yin pose, you'd come into a forward fold, pause, notice where your range is at that moment. And if you're at your furthest range, you may even back off. So you don't even feel the stretch so much at that point. Mm -hmm. And then softly rounding rather than pulling forward, you might even bring your palms up so that you're not pulling at all with your hands. And as you stay in that position, your focal point, your attention, is going to be where you're feeling probably some of that loading rather than the stretching in the back of the legs. I see. So the mind is basically following where the load is and just kind of moving into that. And instead of I'm going to get into this forward bend and try to get my chest on my thighs. Right. And I'll, and I'll see students do this and or I'll see yoga, yoga therapy clients do this when, when they're really reaching and I'll say, okay, let invite, see if you can come you know, off a little bit further, maybe bring your palms up. So there's just a little bit more ease. Can you relax your neck and shoulders? So sometimes giving cues to relax the areas of the body that don't need to be holding any tension. And that also is a cue to remind us that we're not trying to stretch, we're not trying to reach, we're not trying to grasp. And so that those cues can help also keep the attention where we're intending it to go. Yeah, which I think brings us to the, the more subtle aspects, this, what you're calling a dive into the stillness of the mind. Tell yeah. us what that means. Yeah. So, you know, once we, we find, we, we settle into a pose, we'll take this forward fold prototype again. So we find, we, we come into the shape, we found our edge, we might back off, we might be propping because we don't want to, we might have a little hamstring thing going on, or we're, we, we talked about that hypermobility, maybe we're propping underneath the knees so that we're restricting how, how much we're stretching at all, if any. And then we come into the stillness for a few minutes. So the mind right away has lots to say. I know my mind has lots to say. When Does everyone come into the stillness? <laughs> no, we come into, we come into the, the mind, the madness, right? <laughs> so true. So my mind's like, oh, well, what are we going to do today? What's on? Wait, what happened yesterday? Hey, I don't like that. You know, all of the familiar mind stories come up. So that's, that's really the stillness allows this opportunity to witness what's happening in the mind. And so while it would be great to come into this blissful, still quiet place, that is not usually what happens. We actually start to see, oh, this is what's happening right now. Oh, I'm having worried thoughts, actually. 
oh, there's even some sadness here. Where's that coming? Like, so we start to actually turn inside and see what, what's here. It gives us this opportunity to see what's actually already been here, but we may not have even tuned into. So the quietness gives us the space to finally tune in. And often it is loud. Right. And, and you go into great detail in your book about this idea of self-inquiry while yeah. in the posture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the idea of inquiry is this exploration with a question that we don't know the answer to. You know, like how often people will say, oh, why am I so stupid or why do I keep doing this? But we often know the answer when we're saying that, you know, maybe because we're stressed or we're stuck in a pattern. Inquiry is when we start out with not knowing the answer. We're actually curious. So it, ha it has the spirit of curiosity. And then when we go inside and want to be curious, we can ask ourselves, well, what's, what's happening right now, right? So the spirit of inquiry is curiosity, not knowing the answer. And the third part, which is really important, is not being judgmental. As soon as we start to judge like, oh, oh, look, look at, look how inflexible I am. Ugh. Oh, my body, you know, I'm having pain. As soon as we add that layer of judgment in, it often distracts us. So we still, we can have that thought like, oh, my body's in pain, but we can do that without judgment. Can even say, oh, there's pain here right now. Oh, so that, that element of, of warmth and non-judgmental curiosity is really important when we do inquiry as well. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, you know, having kind of self-compassion yeah. for ourselves. Yeah, you know, self-compassion is really embedded in yin. I think about it right off the bat, like when we take a shape and we say to our yoga therapy clients, let's take this shape and see if you can back off from your furthest edge. Can you actually not do our habitual way of maybe striving or over mm. over reaching right so we start right away with this more self-compassionate lens and then this exploration of what's happening in your body and how does your body feel right now right and one of the things about yin when we take our shapes like every shape is going to be different so we're not trying to use a prototype and look like this person doing this shape, it's gonna really look different for us. And that's self-compassionate too, to be able to do a practice that works for my body. Yeah. When I first started learning yin, I had this familiar pattern of, no, I have to look like the teacher. And my teacher, Sarah Powers, is this beautiful yoga teacher. She's very flexible and she doesn't prop. So I would, I would take shapes and I would be afraid to prop. And so I would just sort of suffer in the pose and it was really like painful sometimes. And I, but I, I wanted to do it right. And then over time I was been, I was able to explore, like, it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to like look like anyone else. And then it, it shifted because then suddenly the poses were what worked for my body. And that was really self-compassionate and much more enjoyable, of course, too. You keep touching on this this point that I want to go back to, and I know we're kind of talking about the the mental emotional benefits now. But you've said a couple of times the the interoceptive awareness or feedback. Are there some people that don't have as strong as interoceptive feedback as others? Yeah, that's a, an excellent question, and. 
The answer is yes. I think that's that's why for yoga therapists, we have so many tools in our arsenal because we need to help people start to fine tune their own interoceptive cues. And it can be challenging for people to actually feel in their bodies if they've had trauma or just the way their nervous system is wired, they may not be as attuned to different shifts, subtle shifts, especially energetic shifts. So you described earlier, like we're gonna go gross to subtle. And that's often how I work in yin for people that are new, that we go for the gross first. We go for the intensity of the sensation. So I'll have people start with on a scale of one to 10, where, you know, what level do you feel this? And I'll give them some interoceptive cues literally like do you feel tugging do you feel pulling do you feel stretching so when we give people some language for what they're looking for often they can start to locate and learn those cues but if they haven't had experience they may not know what am i looking for or if it's here how do i find it and it and the more subtle it is the more practice it takes to get get to that place which kind of goes back to the whole point around assessment that there's in a session, a constant co-assessment happening where you're helping them basically assess their own body sensations and feelings and adjust accordingly. Yeah, then that that's I love that idea of a co-assessment. So checking in a lot. And one of the things about yin, you know, if, if anyone's taken a yin class and felt like I just sat in a pose and the teacher really wasn't doing anything, in yin yoga therapy, we want to be really careful and do a lot of this co-assessing. And so checking in, you know, giving cues, asking the client to check in with themselves and where are you noticing this now? How has it changed? I'll often have people play with that. You know, if they're saying, oh, I feel like some pulling and tugging, maybe I'm like on a three on a scale of one to 10, I'll say, okay, can you notice what a two would feel like? And I have them practice two, three, four, and really play with those more incremental adjustments so that they can really start to learn what what sensations feel like and when is it too much for their nervous system i love that in your book i think it was around page 45 i'd have to go back and look but (laughs) you have this beautiful scale basically and i'm going to try to find it quick a scale of helping us to understand what it is that we're feeling in our body because i think so many of us especially people who have had trauma don't have that interoceptive awareness or that that feedback of, oh, this here's the sensation, you can feel this. And right. so I saw this scale that you had put together to kind of give words and help us articulate what it is we might be feeling. I just found that so helpful. Do you have anything to say about that and maybe tie it into the, the window of tolerance? Yeah, you know, I think, again, comes back to my my early yin days where I would get into a pose and often because I had that striving, like I want to do it well, I'd go really far deep in and be really pretty miserable right on the border of like having a hyper arousal, like really exceeding my capacity to stay, you know, in a comfort zone. And I didn't quite have the language to say that. I was like, I think this is okay, but I don't know. And over time I recognized actually I was going too far, even though my range of motion permitted it, the intensity was too much and it actually interfered with my ability to stay in the pose. 
And so over time, I started to really get curious about, well, what sensations are linked to intensity and how to describe this to people so they can understand. So I started to put little index cards in front of my, my students when I would teach a yin class. And I'd say, okay, now you're in a pose, write down some of the words and the level of intensity. And I really like wanted this to be this experiential process. So I collected data for quite some time and my own data too, around what does it feel like when we're looking at connective tissue, like when we're loading it, you know, cause that's different than stretching. It might feel more tugging. It might have feel like a little pulling, maybe a little stretch there too. So what are the, what are, what are the sensations we're looking for? And then how do we know when it's too much? So that scale is like a safety scale. And when I'm teaching someone who's newer to the practice, I want people to stay within a zone where they're not exceeding their window of tolerance. And so that's why I add breath in, in the mix. And so as the scale indicates, when we're in our, our window of tolerance, our breathing is really stable. We're able to breathe fully, right? You know, capacity to breathe in and breathe out is pretty even, right? And as we get higher in terms of the level of sensation, our breathing may start to get variable. We might start to notice a little bit fuller breathing or a little constriction in the breath. And that's like the first little sign that maybe we're getting to a higher level of intensity. And over time, if we stay there, we might exceed our window of tolerance. And as our breath becomes more and more labored or more and more restricted, we can be pretty sure that we might be in a hyperarousal, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a great time to back off and bring us back to our, maybe our, our more gentle earlier one to two to three range on the scale. And that's what I wanted to ask you, Tracy, is the goal to kind of stay below a five? You know, for newer um, clients, the answer is yes. You know, I've heard young teachers kind of talk about, you know, six, maybe going up to a six or even a seven. I really like to stay in the sweet spot between a two and a four at first and then have people really work on that range. That's a really interesting range. There's a lot to be felt and experienced right there. For more experienced students who know their body well, who've had a careful assessment, like you talked about, where we know, okay, the joints are stable, that there's not hypermobility. So if we go a little bit deeper, we go to a five or a six, and this person really knows their body well, yeah, I think then there are some interesting things that can happen at a slightly higher level. But for safety purposes, I like that two to four range, especially when we're working with clients that might have anxiety or depression, trauma. So there's already some mental health, emotional challenges that we're working with as well. So I have the scale pulled up on the screen for those of you who are watching on YouTube. And I just want to read a couple of the, you know, what is a two? What is a three? What is a four? Sure. So two is a gentle opening. Breathing is easy and natural. A three is mild pressure, regular breathing. A four is moderate pressure, tugging, but still having regular breathing. And then a five is deep pressure, a tugging may have variability in breathing rate. So just to give our listeners kind of an idea of 
the the range that you're suggesting for all of these mental health benefits. And I think that brings us to the the later sections of your book where you show practices for PTSD, for anxiety, for depression, for traumatic brain injury, schizophrenia. Tell us about that because I think that is to me what I call embodied healthcare. Yeah, I love that term. When I started working with clients, I worked in in inpatient psychiatric settings where I really had the you know, the privilege of working with people that have all sorts of significant mental health issues. And, you know, traditionally when we think about schizophrenia or depression, major depression or PTSD, you know, we, we may not be sure how to approach that from an integrative holistic perspective because these folks have had a lot of challenges and maybe especially if they're, they've been in a hospital setting, maybe they don't have access to yoga or they haven't ever taken a yoga class before. And so, you know, yin seems like this, you know, sort of portable way to begin to introduce yoga practices. And that's really how I got started in utilizing yin in this more therapeutic context in mental health, that these were postures where I could do two or three bedside. You know, I've had clients that were in bed in the hospital that would not get up and we're certainly not going to come into a group yoga class that was being offered. So we're bedside. I could bring a bolster. I could suggest coming into a reclining bound angle pose and begin to do some gentle practice. And so these sequences really are around number one, beginning to meet the energy of the client. If someone's coming in highly anxious and agitated, I may not necessarily have them start in a static yin pose for 10 minutes, right? Because that would be really jarring to their nervous system if they're already in a hyper arousal. So we, we may start with some movement first. And in the chapter about anxiety, I, I talk about that, that sequencing may include some sun salutations, may include some movement first, so that when we get to the yin poses, there's already some movement of energy. There's already a little bit more nervous system regulation to allow someone to stay still versus depression where someone's energy may be really low. And there we may be starting bedside in a very simple pose. And we may just do one pose for five or 10 minutes with very gentle mindfulness of breath. So starting with looking at the energy of the person and that that's always a helpful barometer. And then, like I said earlier, titrating slowly so we can do two, three, four poses and and see how someone is doing. And that, that can also help us decide, do they need more active young? poses at this point or should we stay with this yin sequence and in fact add on additional poses i love that idea of titration i think it's so relevant to yoga therapy that just because something is good when you do more and more and more of it doesn't mean it's still going to be good for us right so that idea of someone might do just one posture and that's what the what I call the post-digestive effect of that is not only right afterwards but three hours afterwards the next day and then slowly titrate it and build it up over time within that person's window of tolerance exactly there's no there's no rush you know and I think we often all of us tend to want to progress to get to the next level the nice part about yin and I I say this in the book too it's very non-competitive there's no like peak pose there's no like advancement. It's just generally like finding the sequence of poses that help produce 
energetic and emotional shifts that we're, we're working on. So with that in mind, it almost alleviates this idea that we have to do X, Y, and Z to get to this particular pose. In fact, it's today, how am I feeling? What would my body need right now? What am I curious to explore? And, and you know, really operating from that. And I think that can be very helpful. So that may only be three poses today where I'm just going to, I really want to explore doing some hip openers and see what happens if I stay in pigeon or if I stay in a variation of, of pigeon, call it deer pose and notice, you know, left side, right side. That's actually all I want to do today. And that it can be plenty. And are you allowed to, if, if you just decide that it's too much, can you just come out and lie in Shavasana? Yes. And in fact, you know, I, I really encourage my clients, my students, if I'm teaching in a, in a group to come out when they feel like it's time to come out. And I give us, I, but I give some, some guidelines on that because I know for me, as soon as a teacher says that, I'm like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> like, I, that's good. Even planting that little seed, our brain can quickly want to get out of a situation. So I usually guide my students in the following way. I'll say, okay, so if you notice that there's a strong inclination to get out of the pose, asking yourself first, is it the level of sensation? Is it like, I'm, you know, I'm feeling pain? Then always we come out of the pose if we're feeling, we should not feel pain in a yin pose. But then the second is, okay, if it's not pain, what is this, you know? And it might be discomfort, irritation, distractibility. So I'll often invite, you know, if you notice that it's an emotional response or an energetic response, what would it be like to stay two or three more breaths and see what happens? So I try to, you know, give a little bit of guidance so that we don't automatically come out but we also feel empowered to come out. And even if it is irritability, that's a good reason sometimes to come out. Like we don't need to suffer in a pose. So it's like finding this fine balance between staying with discomfort, which can be very therapeutic, and sometimes not staying with discomfort, which can be very therapeutic, and learning how to play with that with curiosity and kindness. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end and I want to show everyone your website and your new book, but is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't really get to? I think just this idea that in our yin yoga, we really have the opportunity to practice self-compassion. You talked about that earlier and, and I wanted to just circle back to that because really it's a very compassionate practice to listen to our body to work with the edges of sensation, to work in areas that we might typically not, like we talked about earlier, the connective tissue, the fascia, really supporting joint health, and also how to work with our window of tolerance. And so these are compassionate ways. And you know, when people are struggling with depression, anxiety, or trauma, we, we need to have an arsenal of self-compassionate tools. So I really like this idea that yin can be part of that toolbox of, of being kinder to ourselves, which we know can, can help us feel better, can be the beginning of feeling more resilient with, with the challenges we face. I love that. And I'm just imagining, you know, our society is so obsessed with movement and fast and get things done and be efficient and be organized and, and to give us permission to slow down and just be for an hour and not get anywhere or compete 
to me, that in and of itself is a very compassionate act. Yeah, exactly. And and that I think that idea that we're still for for the parts of us that are really doers and achievers, and I think we all have those parts. I often say, Yin, you're getting a lot of bang for the buck because you are doing stuff, even though you're not moving, you're you are helping exercise the tissues and at the same time doing a quieter, more introspective mindfulness practice. And so that can sometimes support the parts of us that tend to really want to be active and and do something that might move away from some of the quieter practices. Well, let us take a look at the book. It came out in June of 2022, and it's called Yin Yoga Therapy and Mental Health, An Integrated Approach by Tracy Myers, PsyD, and the publisher is Singing Dragon. It's a yes. beautiful cover. So soothing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love the the energy of just thinking about taking a pose and, and then all the things that are happening in the body at that time. And I have your website pulled up, which is Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S, D psyd.com and we'll put that in the show notes and beautiful website do you have any workshops or or do you do privates what what types of things would you like to share with us that you spend your time focusing on yeah i i do a bunch of different things i do do workshops and privates i do some yoga immersions so i do a yin yoga immersion for yoga therapy programs. I do day-long retreats and work with different organizations like Love Your Brain Yoga, doing yoga for people with traumatic brain injuries. So kind of a little bit of everything. I also work with a lot of mental health providers, learning how to integrate breath practices and movement for mental health providers. So that can be another source of learning for them. Wonderful. Well, you look like you're a very, very busy woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's been my pleasure to to interview you and, and just basically learn more about yin yoga. I have family members that that practice it, and it's been really awesome to, to hear about the gross and the subtle benefits of yin yoga. So thank you so much, Tracy, for being with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this dialogue. One thing that I'm walking away with in this interview with Tracy Myers is this idea of diving into the stillness of the mind. I think especially we Westerners are pretty obsessed with movement as exercise. And in some ways, I think we can even avoid the trauma, the depths of what's going on inside of us through doing a very vigorous yoga practice. We're so focused on asana and the forms and perfection. It almost becomes like we're using our asana to avoid what is really going on inside of us. Just like we might use shopping or we might use drinking or smoking to kind of numb ourselves. I think a lot of us probably are guilty of using exercise and asana to avoid what we're feeling inside. And so I love this idea about slowing down, backing off, trying to listen deeply to what's happening inside. What 
thoughts are coming up over and over and over? How much are we judging ourselves or critiquing or being angry or judgmental or how much self-compassion do we really have? I love this idea of exploring that. And I know we can do that in our meditation practice, but it's also very interesting to think about doing it while loading the connective tissue, which some say holds our deepest emotions. So it's food for thought. I think there's so much amazing research that still needs to be done on this, especially with respect to the meridians. And if we're kind of loading the connective tissue at certain pressure points in the body that have, you know, as we would say in, in yoga, nadi or a meridian spot, almost, almost like a marma therapy, can we go in there and create pressure on those points and see what gets released? So that's a really fascinating idea to me. And I, I really hope that in the future, we can have some research on that to see, you know, not just experientially what's happening for the person, but also physiologically. I think there's so much room here for, for research to be done. So thank you for listening today. It's been my pleasure to be with you for this hour and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.